Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. We're used to seeing Providence College basketball in the national spotlight now, but it went to a new level just over 50 years ago when star players Ernie DiGregorio and Marvin Barnes led the team to the Final Four for the first time in team history. Ernie D. has a new book titled A Star with a Broken Heart. It talks about his basketball career and his friendship with Barnes and their coach Dave Gavitt. Our conversation with Ernie D. after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. We're here with Ernie DiGregorio, the former Providence College basketball star and NBA Rookie of the Year. Thanks for joining us today, Ernie. It's a pleasure, Ed. Thank you for having me. So I enjoyed your book, Star with a Broken Heart, because like so many other Rhode Islanders, I grew up watching PC basketball, but the whole country got to know PC basketball back in 1973 when your team made it to the Final Four. That was over 50 years ago. So why did you decide to write the book now? Well, you know... Two of my closest friends in life, Coach Dave Gavitt and Marvin Bonds, passed away. And we had so many great stories, and I just wanted to keep the memory of them alive. So I felt these stories, people will really enjoy it. And it's about a bond and a relationship we created that lasted for all those 50 years. And tell us about the first time you met Dave Gavitt. Yeah, I used to play when I was in high school in this uh, Smith Street Basketball League, Evans Field. It was a summer league. And what made it really special was all the players were college players when I was in high school. So I got to compete against really good talent. And, you know, I was a pretty good player. One day we were playing in the playoffs and I went to make a move and somebody whacked me in the lip and I, I, I cracked my lip and it was bleeding. They called a timeout and when I was over in the huddle, somebody throws me a towel and I look up and I said, holy mackerel, this is my next coach, Providence College coach. He said, let me take a look at that cut. And he says, I think you might need a couple of stitches. I'll drive you to Lady of Fatima Hospital. I said, coach, I'm not going anywhere. I want to play in that game and I want to win. And I think he's seen then the competitive side and the drive that I had to be a great player. 
he stayed for the whole game, and I knew that. And uh, he told me after the game how much he enjoyed it and, and how well I played. So we developed a bond right from the day one. And then did he take you to a Lady of Fatima? No, I never went. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of coaches yell, and uh, you, you say Coach Gabbard never criticized, never ridiculed his players. So what did he do instead? What was his approach? Well, what made Coach Gavitt special was he was honest and he was caring and he was brilliant because, you know, he knew how to handle every single player on that team. For instance, I'm a very sensitive person, so he wouldn't holler at me. He knew if he ever got on me too much, I'd go in a shell. He'd talk to you. Yeah. You know, uh, he would say, Ernie, you know, that's a bad shot move the ball around a couple of more times, we can get a better shot. I say, okay, coach. You know, where someone like Nehru King, he needed a little boot in the rear end and he would have to push him and get on him a little bit. So he was almost like a psychologist, how he handled everybody. And then as, as far as a basketball coach, he was brilliant because he knew how to make adjustments and make changes and change defenses and, and substitute. So he, he was really special. And the, the best thing a coach can have, and, and Coach Gavitt had this, is respect to the players. And the players loved him and respected him, and they'd run through a wall for him. Tell us what Marvin Barnes was like. Well, you know, from the first day I went to Providence College, I used to go in Coach Gavitt's office every day. And <clears throat> one day he said to me, Ernie, there's a kid up at Central High who loves to play basketball just like you do. I want you to go pick him up and bring him over here to play with the guys. And I said, okay, coach, I'll do it. So I pulled up. He towered over everybody, and I said, uh, are you Bad News Bonds? And he said, yeah, are you Ernie D? <clears throat> I said, yeah. I said, uh, you want to come and play some ball over at uh, Alumni Hall? And he said, I'd love to. How's the competition? I said, it's great. He said, by the way, that's a nice ride you got there. I said, thanks. He said, I'm going to get me one, too, when I come to PC next year. I oh, said, what were you driving? What was your car? I was a green Corvette I got Ooh. and um, with Ernie D on the license plate. And people used to steal the license plate for souvenirs. They stole the plates right off your car? Yeah, for souvenirs. Oh. So I'd always have to get new plates, new plates, new plates. So Marvin came over, and uh, from that day on, we developed a relationship and a bond that lasted right until he passed away. He was funny, he was intelligent, he was crazy. He, was, he had no filter. I mean, Marvin would do things that people wouldn't even imagine, but he could sure play basketball. He was a tremendous athlete who could rebound, who could block shots. He was a very unique player, and both of us had the same goal, which was to be professional players, to get drafted in the first round, and sign lucrative contracts. And uh, we had the same goal, and uh, we worked at it every single day. You know, you were the six-foot-tall white kid from North Providence. Marvin was, what, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, black kid from South Providence. And you write in the book about how race relations weren't great in Rhode Island or the rest of the country, for that matter, in the 1970s. Do you think people noticed how close you two guys were? Oh, yeah. It stood out because, you know, people used to tell Marvin, what are you hanging around with that little white guy for? And people used to tell me, why are you hanging around with, with the big African-American guy? We never listened to people because we knew what we wanted and we knew the bond we developed and it became closer and closer. And Marvin used to come over my house for Sunday dinners with my family and I used to go over to his house 
with his beautiful mother, Lula, uh, who I became very close to. And uh, I think we did more for race relationship in the state of Rhode Island than anybody could ever imagine, way before the word diversity even came up. It was special, and it showed on the court because neither one was selfish, you know, of each other or envious of all the fame that one got, and that's why we won all those games. Tell us about how the kids in South Providence were saying, you know, you were just another, quote, great white hope when, when Marvin brought you to the South Providence Rec Center for a pickup game. Yeah, like I said, the world was racially divided, you know, the white state on one side, the black state on the other. And Marvin's friends, who he played basketball with a lot, would always tell him, <clears throat> you know, news, that guy's overrated, that Ernie D's not that good, you know, he's just a, the great white hope, but he can't play. So Marvin would tell him, someday I'm going to take him up here at the wreck and he's going to kick you up behind. And they said, bring him up here. We want a, want a piece of him. And one day I picked up Marvin at school and we went up and played. You know, I like to fool around with the ball, go behind my back, between my legs and stuff like that. You know, everybody wanted a piece of me because, you know, when you look at me, I'm not that tall, I'm not that fast, but I play 10 hours a day, so I should be pretty good. I would uh, cross over and put it between my legs and make a shot. And, you know, these guys were falling all over their feet. They couldn't keep up with me. And uh, I pretty much had my way, and Marvin and I dominated the games. And when we left, I remember them letting us out the back door, and they said, you're right, News, that white boy can play. <laughs> so you were six feet tall in a tall man's game. Am I right to say that people doubted you every step of the way, high school, prep school, college, pros? Exactly. In high school, I played in Class B, and we won the state championship, and I averaged about 33 points a game. And one reporter said what he seen was once in a lifetime. It always stuck out in my head. I go to PC, and freshmen couldn't play varsity, so I averaged 30 a game, and we won almost all our games. And they said, oh, he's a good freshman player, but he'll never make the varsity. And then I got on the varsity. They said, he'll never start on the varsity. Then when I started on the varsity, you know, I'll never be an All-American. Then when I was an All-American, I'll never make it to the pro. So I've always had people doubt my, me along the way. So that's the big reason why I chose the NBA over the ABA. The ABA offered me more money, but I wanted to play against the greatest players in the world and prove that I could be one of those players, and, and that's what I did. So one of the most amazing passes I've ever seen made on a basketball court was the pass you made to Kevin Stakem in the Final Four game against Memphis. Led by high-scoring guard Ernie DiGregorio, Providence entered its semifinal game against Memphis State standing 27 and 2 on the season. Describe how that play unfolded. Someone threw me a pass and I seen Kevin from the corner of my eye running down the court, but as soon as I caught the ball there was someone in front of me, so I couldn't make a regular chess pass, so I just turned sideways and whipped it behind my back. It was only natural that a number of people in the St. Louis crowd couldn't quite believe what they were seeing as DiGregorio constantly befuddled the Tiger defense with his court sleight of hand. How did you have the confidence to make that from past half court? Well, because every single day in practice, I would make those kind of passes. Not that pass in particular, but behind the back passes. And I had a coach who had no ego, who believed in me and let me be Ernie D. He allowed me to draw between my legs or behind my back and do those 
fancy things, and I never once heard him say, why are you making a pass like that? So I ha first you got to have the coach's confidence and his okay, and I had that. I think what amazed people was I had the guts and the confidence to make that in a nationally televised Final Four game. Yeah, the first minute. Right, in front of 19,000 people. But, you know, I didn't lack confidence because, like I said, Ed, if you play 10 hours a day, you should be pretty good at something. <laughs> and and just tell me with that game, uh, PC ended up losing, but is does PC win if Marvin Barnes doesn't get hurt? Oh, that game, we're ahead of him by 16 points. And Dick McGuire, a former NBA player and a former New York Knicks coach, told Coach Gavitt, who told us that was probably the best 12 minutes of basketball he's ever seen in his life. Yeah, yeah. So, so you think he would have come out on top? Oh, for sure. We would have beat them. Marvin Barnes struggled with addiction after college and <laughs> in the latest stages of his life. Tell us about that and the attempts you and Coach Gavitt made to help him. Yeah, Marvin you know, had a problem with drugs. Uh, it's ironic because when he was in college, he was straight, never drank, never smoked a cigarette, and just continually worked on his body. So he was a uh, specimen when he was in college. But then when he got to the uh, pros, the ABA, it was a uh, crazy kind of league, and there was, you know, cocaine was running around rampant. And that's when, you know, he tried the drug and, and, and got addicted to it and, and started using drugs. But it's been a battle, you know, his whole life. When he got out of basketball, we all remained close. Coach, myself, and Marvin, and the rest of the teammates. So we'd go out to lunch. Everybody knew Marvin had that issue. He, he would come right out and talk about it. In fact, at one point, I think he was 13 years, he was straight. And he used to go around to different schools and talk about how important it is for youngsters to do the right thing, not to get involved with drugs, don't end up like I have, which was to go into you know different jails. He had different times, he served time. He did really great, and then th that last time he got off the wagon, and then it was a tough battle because you know I don't think he's seen the blue sky anymore. I think he was really troubled, and, and that was probably his escape to try to get out of the trouble, and he, he used more and more until finally, you know, it got him. But like a lot of people in the world, you know, that addiction's so strong that uh, they go back and uh, eventually takes your life. So tell us why the book is titled Star with a Broken Heart. Is that in reference to Marvin? And Dave Gavitt. When I lost both of those people, I lost my basketball family and it will never be the same for me. How I thought of the, the, the title of the book, I go to Buffalo a lot where I played professional basketball, and a lot of times I drive by myself, and you try to stay awake, and you talk to yourself while you're driving, and you're singing. One day I just started singing, a star with a broken heart, a star with a broken heart, and I said, geez, that's the title of the book. And I called my daughter, who was an English major at Providence College, and told her, and she loved it. And I called my best friend, who is the founder of TJ Maxx, and I told him the title, and he loved it. And that was the title, how it came. Oh, that's great. 
Let me get your thoughts on P- on PC's new coach, Kim English. Have you met him? What do you think of? How yeah, I've he's met doing? him. Yeah. I go to a lot of practices. I'm really impressed with him, and he does the thing that Coach Gavitt does. I sense and I feel and I notice that the players really respect him and they'll play hard for him. That's the most important thing any coach can do. You know, Belichick is going through all this stuff with the Patriots. It's not that he can't coach. It's just sometimes the players shut off from the coach. And once they shut off and they don't give that 100%, that's when you get those losses and stuff like that. So uh, Kim English, I think, has a brilliant career ahead of him. He's a super guy and he works his tail off And I think he's done a great job so far with the players buying into his program and really believing they can win. I got to ask, do you think Coach Cooley made a mistake in leaving to go to Georgetown? I don't know, you know, what his reasoning was, but everybody has to make decisions on, you know, their own life. Me personally, I think Providence College is an unbelievable job. But we've seen, you know, a lot of great coaches come and they take that next step and they go somewhere else. So coaching is like uh, playing. Whoever gives you the most money and the longest contract, that's where they're going. Where can we get this book? I tried to get it at my local bookstore and I ended up going to the PC bookstore. Where is it available? If you Google Providence College Bookstore, they have an app. It's available to have me personalize the book and sign it to whoever they want. And that's the only place that's carrying it. I go in the bookstore every day, every morning. Today I went in and I signed a dozen books, and I'll go in tomorrow morning, and they bail it out the next day. I heard you mention this might become a movie. Tell me about that, and most of all, tell me who plays you in the movie. Yeah, I told my uh, wife and kids, I'll lose 20 pounds and dye my hair. I'll play myself. <laughs> they, they, they didn't think that was funny. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's all, I wrote it to be a movie, and I can see the opening scene of me standing in front of Coach Gavitt's grave and my voice in the background and goes from there. I have a good friend of mine at the college that read the book. He was the first one who read it, and the first thing he said to me when we had breakfast the next day was, it's a movie. And so I have a lot of people willing to talk about it, and we're going to talk to the movie people. I'm in no hurry, but it will be a movie. What do you hope people take away from this book? Well, you know what's amazing? I get it. With social media, you get so many people, their reactions and stuff like that. And it amazes me how everybody gets a different opinion and a different takeaway of the narrative of the book. I think what I want people to understand, and, and, and they'll see in the book, was that how close we were, how much we loved each other, how much we battled on and off the court right until when they died. Because even with Coach, before he died, we used to go out to eat every single week, and we used to laugh and have fun. And that was like 50 years later. So there was a bond that can never be broken. And the battles, you know, keeping Marvin straight as much as we could. There's a lot of things in this book where people can take away. And that's why it's so special and why it'll be a movie. Ernie D., thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for having me. 
Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.